Section 2 of Incidents of Travel in Central America, Chiapas and Yucatan, Volume 2, by John Lloyd Steffens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Chapter 2 Beautiful Plain, Leon, Stroll Through the Town, Baneful Effects of Party Spirit, Scenes of Horror, Unpleasant Intelligence, journey continued a fastidious beggar chinandaga gulf of cuchagua visit to realejo cotton factory harbor of realejo el viejo port of nagoscolo importance of a passport embarking mules a bungo volcano of cosigina eruption of eighteen thirty five la union at two o'clock we were awakened by the crowing of the cocks, and at three the cargo mules were loaded and we set off. The road was level and wooded, but desperately dusty. For two hours after daylight we had shade, when we came upon an open plain, bounded on the Pacific side by a low ridge, and on the right by a high range of mountains, forming part of the great chain of the Cordilleras before us at a great distance rising above the level of the plain we saw the spires of the cathedral of leon this magnificent plain in richness of soil not surpassed by any land in the world lay as desolate as when the spaniards first traversed it the dry season was near its close for four months there had been no rain and the dust hung around us in thick clouds hot and fine as the sands of egypt at nine o'clock we reached leon and i parted from my companions but not without a courteous invitation from the younger to take up my rest at the house of his brother the suburbs were more miserable than anything i had yet seen passing up a long street across which a sentinel was patrolling i saw in front of the quartel a group of vagabond soldiers a match for carreras who cried out insolently quites el sombrero take off your hat i had to traverse the whole extent of the city before i reached a house to which i had been recommended i dismounted and entered it with confidence of a warm reception but the lady with considerable expedition told me that her husband was not at home i gave her a note with which i had been furnished addressed to herself but she said she could not read english and handed it back I translated it word for word, being a request that she would give me lodgings. Her brow actually knit with vexation, and she said she had but one spare room, and that was reserved for the English vice-consul from Realejo. I answered that the vice-consul did not intend leaving Realejo for the present. She asked me how long I intended to stay, and when I replied only that night, she said that if such was the case i might remain the reader will perhaps wonder at my want of spirit but the fact is i was loath to consider any incivility personal my only alternative was to seek out the young man whose invitation i had declined and whose name i did not know or to ask admission from door to door it is said that women are governed by appearances and mine was not very seductive my dress was the same with which i had left granada 
soiled by the ascent of the volcano of Masaya, and now covered with dust. Making the most of my moderate wardrobe, on my reappearance I was more favorably received. At least I had a capital breakfast, and as it was very hot and I wanted to rest, I remained indoors and played with the children. At dinner I had the seat of honor at the head of the table, and had made such progress that, if I had desired it, I would have ventured to broach the subject of remaining another day. And I owe it to the lady to say that, having assented to my remaining, she treated me with great civility and attention, and particularly used great exertions in procuring me a guide to enable me to set out the next day. After dinner, Nicholas came to my room, and with uplifted hands cried out against the people of Leon, gente indecente, sin vergüenza, literally, indecent people without shame. He had been hooted in the streets, and had heard such stories of the state of the country before us that he wanted to return home. I was extremely loath to make another change, and particularly for any of the assassin-looking scoundrels whom I had seen on my entry, but I did not like the responsibility of taking him against his will, and told him that if he would procure me two honest men, he might leave me. I had advanced him more than was due, but I had a security against his deserting me in his apprehension of being taken for a soldier. This over, I walked out to take a view of the town. It had an appearance of old and aristocratic respectability, which no other city in Central America possessed. The houses were large, and many of the fronts were full of stucco ornaments. The plaza was spacious, and the squares of the churches, and the churches themselves, magnificent. It was the seat of a bishopric, and distinguished for the costliness of its churches and convents, its seats of learning, and its men of science, down to the time of its revolution against Spain. But in walking through the streets, I saw palaces in which nobles had lived, dismantled and roofless, and occupied by half-starved wretches, pictures of misery and want, and on one side an immense field of ruins covering half the city. Almost immediately on the establishment of independence and the drawing of the great party lines between the Centralists and Federalists, the state of Nicaragua became the theater of a furious struggle. In an unfortunate hour, the people elected a central governor and a liberal vice-governor. A divided administration led to drawing of blood and the most sanguinary conflict known in civil wars. Inch by inch the ground was disputed, till the whole physical force and deadly animosity of the state were concentrated in the capital. The contending parties fought up to the very heart of the city. The streets were barricaded, and for three months not a person could pass the line without being shot at. Scenes of horror surpassing human belief are fresh in the memory of the inhabitants. The liberals prevailed, the central chief was killed, his forces massacred, and in the frenzy of the moment 
the part of the city occupied by the centralists was burned and razed to the ground beside the blood of murdered citizens the tears and curses of widows and orphans the victors had the rich enjoyment of a desolated country and a ruined capital the same ruthless spirit still characterized the inhabitants of leon the heroes of tegucigalpa without a single prisoner as a monument of mercy had been received with ringing of bells and firing of cannon and other demonstrations of joy and they were still in the city flushed with their brutal victory and anxious to be led on to more such triumphs i must confess that i felt a degree of uneasiness in walking the streets of leon that i never felt in any city in the east my change of dress did not make my presence more acceptable and the eagle on my hat attracted particular attention at every corner was a group of scoundrels who stared at me as if disposed to pick a quarrel with some my official character made me an object of suspicion for in their disgraceful fights they thought that the eyes of the whole world were upon them and that england france and the united states were secretly contending for the possession of their interesting country i intended to pay a visit to the chief of the state but afraid of being insulted or getting into some difficulty that might detain me i returned to the house by means of the servants nicholas had found two men who were willing to accompany me but i did not like their looks or even to let them know when i intended to set out i had hardly disposed of them before my guide came to advise me not to set out the next day as five hundred soldiers who had been making preparations for several days were to march the next morning against san salvador this was most unpleasant intelligence i did not wish to travel with them or to fall in with them on the road and calculating that their march would be slower than mine told the guide to ascertain their time for starting and we would set out two hours before them nicholas went out with him to take the mules to water but they returned in great haste with intelligence that piquettes were scouring the city for men and mules and had entered the yard of a padre near by and taken three of his animals the lady of the house ordered all the doors to be locked and the keys brought to her and an hour before dark we were all shut in and my poor mules went without water at about eight o'clock we heard the tramp of cavalry in the streets and gathering inside the doorway saw about six hundred men taking up their line of march there was no music no shouting no waving of handkerchiefs to cheer them as defenders of their country or as adventurers in the road to glory but in the dark and barefooted their tread seemed stealthy people looked at them with fear and it seemed rather the sally of a band of conspirators than a march by the soldiers of a republic my muleteer did not return till daylight the next morning fortunately for us he had learned that the troops were destined on another but even a more inglorious expedition expenses had been incurred in sending troops into honduras 
of which granada refused to pay its portion on the ground that by the constitution it was not liable except for expenses incurred in defending the borders of its own state this was admitted but the expense had been incurred leon had fought the battle and had the same materials with which she gained it to enforce the contribution in order that granada might be taken unawares it was given out that the troops were destined for san salvador and they were actually marched out on the san salvador road but at midnight made a circuit and took the route for granada war between different states was bad enough but here the flame which had before laid the capital in ruins was lighted again within its own borders what the result of this expedition was i never heard but probably taken unawares and without arms granada was compelled by bayonets to pay what by the constitution she was not bound to pay outside of leon and once more on the back of my macho i breathed more freely nicholas was induced to continue by hearing that there was a vessel at realejo for costa rica and i hoped to find one for zonzonate the great plain of leon was even more beautiful than before too beautiful for the thankless people to whom the bounty of providence had given it on the left was the same low ridge separating it from the pacific ocean and on the right the great range of cordilleras terminated by the volcano of the viejo i had passed through the village of chichaupa when i heard the cry of caballero behind me and turning saw diverse people waving their hands and a woman running almost out of breath with a pocket handkerchief which i had left at the house where i breakfasted i was going on when a respectable-looking gentleman stopped me with many apologies for the liberty and asked for a medio sixpence i gave him one which he examined and handed back saying no corre it does not pass it was always in paying money a matter of course to have two or three pieces returned and this i sometimes resisted but as in this land everything was al reverso it seemed regular for beggars to be choosers and i gave him another my stopping-place was at the house of mr bridges an englishman from one of the west india islands who had been resident in the country many years and was married to a lady of leon but on account of the convulsions of the country lived on his hacienda the soil was rich for cotton and sugar and mr b said that here fifty men could manufacture sugar cheaper than two hundred in the islands but the difficulty was no reliance could be placed upon indian labor here again thanks to the kindness of mr b and his lady and the magnificent wildness of hacienda life i could have passed several days with much satisfaction but i stopped only for dinner after which mr b accompanied me to chinandaga as usual my first business was to make arrangements for continuing my journey my whole road was along the coast of the pacific but beyond this the gulf of cuchagua made a large indentation in the land which it was customary to cross in a bungo 
sending the mules around the head of the gulf i was advised that the latter was hazardous as the honduras troops were marching upon san salvador and would seize them i might save them by going myself but it was a journey of six days through a country so desolate that it was necessary to carry food for the mules and as i had still a long road beyond i felt it necessary to economize my strength i was loath to run the risk of losing my mules and sent a courier to el viejo where the owners of the bungos lived to hire the largest determined to run the risk of taking them with me the next morning the courier returned having procured a bungo to be ready the next evening and with a message from the owner that the embarkation must be at my risk obliged to wait the day after breakfast i started for realejo on the way i met mr foster the english vice-consul coming to see me he turned back and took me to the machino or cotton factory of which i had heard much on the road it was the only one in the country and owed its existence to the enterprise of a countryman having been erected by mr higgins who disappointed in his expectations or disgusted with the country from other causes sold it to don francisco and mr foster they were sanguine in their expectations of profit for they supposed that by furnishing a market the people would be induced to work and raise cotton enough for exportation to europe the resources of this distracted country are incalculable peace and industry would open fountains which would overflow with wealth and i have no doubt the influence of this single factory will be felt in quieting and enriching the whole district within its reach i accompanied mr foster to realejo which was only half an hour's ride the harbor Waro says is capable of containing a thousand ships but being two or three leagues distant i was unable to visit it the town consisting of two or three streets with low straggling houses enclosed by a thick forest was founded by a few of the companions of alvarado who stopped there on their expedition to peru but being so near the sea and exposed to the incursions of the buccaneers the inhabitants moved inland and founded leon at dark we returned to the factory and don francisco and i reached chinandaga where i was greeted with intelligence that the proprietor of the boat had sent word that he supposed i had permission to embark from the chief of the state as by a late order no person could embark without he was most provokingly out in his supposition i had entered the state by a frontier of wilderness and had not once been asked for a passport the reader may remember how i was prevented visiting the chief of the state and besides when at leon i did not know whether i should continue by land or cross the gulf and supposed that at the port of embarkation i could procure all that was necessary i was excessively disturbed but don francisco sent for the commandant of the town who said that the order had not yet been sent to the port but was in his hands and he would retain it 
Early the next morning I sent an ox wagon with the luggage and a stock of corn and grass for the mules during the voyage, and after a pleasant ride of a league reached the Viejo, one of the most respectable-looking towns in Nicaragua. The house of the owner of the bungo was one of the largest in the place, and furnished with two mahogany sofas made by a Yankee cabinet-maker in Lima, two looking-glasses with gilt frames, a French clock, gilt chairs with cane bottoms, and two Boston rocking-chairs, which had made the passage round Cape Horn. Don Francisco went over to the commandant. He, unluckily, had received his orders direct from the government, and dared not let me pass. I went over myself with Mr. Foster. The order was positive, and I was in agony. Here I made a push with my official character, and after an hour's torment, by the warm help of Mr. Foster, and upon his undertaking to save the commandant harmless, and to send an express immediately to Leon for a passport from the chief of the state, it was agreed that in the meantime I might go on. I did not wait long, but taking leave of Mr. Foster and Don Francisco, set out for the port. It was seven leagues through an unbroken forest. On the way I overtook my bungo men, nearly naked, moving in single file with the pilot at their head, and each carrying on his back an open network containing tortillas and provisions for the voyage. At half-past two we reached the port of Nagoscolo. There was a single hut at which a woman was washing corn with a naked child near her on the ground, its face, arms, and body one running sore, a picture of squalid poverty. In front was a large muddy plain, through the center of which ran a straight cut called a canal, with an embankment on one side dry, the mud baked hard and bleached by the sun. In this ditch lay several bungos, high and dry, adding to the ugliness of the picture. I had a feeling of great satisfaction that I was not obliged to remain there long. But the miserable woman, with a tone of voice that seemed to rejoice in the chance of making others as miserable as herself, desisted from washing her maize, and screeched in my ears that a guarda had been sent direct from the capital, with orders to let no one embark without a passport. The guarda had gone down the river in a canoe, in search of a bungo which had attempted to go away without a passport, and I walked down the bank of the canal in hope to catch him alone when he returned. The sun was scorching hot, and as I passed the bungos, the boatman asked me if I had a passport. At the end of the canal, under the shade of a large tree, were two women, and they had been in that place three days, waiting for one of their party who had gone to Leon to procure a passport. It was more than an hour before the guarda appeared. He was taken by the eagle on my hat, and while I told him my story, said, Si, senor, to everything. But when I talked of embarking, said, Senor, you have no passport. I will not inflict upon the reader the details of all my vexations and anxiety that afternoon. I was most eager to hurry on. To send a courier to Leon would keep me in suspense insufferable. 
some difficulty might happen and the only way for peace of mind was to return myself i had already made a longer journey than is ever made in the country without an interval of rest the road before me led through the seat of war and four days detention might throw me into the midst of it in fact the result proved that one day would have done so i walked with the guarda to the hut and in greater anxiety than i had felt since my departure from home showed him my papers a larger bundle perhaps than he had ever seen before and with bigger seals particularly my original passport from my own government jumbling together his government and my government the amicable relations existing between them and trying to give him an overwhelming idea of my importance but he knew no more what it meant than if i had repeated to him in english the fifth problem in euclid the poor man was almost in as great perplexity as i was several times he assented and retracted and at length upon my giving him a letter promising him the protection of mr foster and the commandant at viejo he agreed to let the bungo go it was about an hour before dark when we went down to embark the mules my bungo was at the extreme end of the canal and the tide had risen so that she was afloat we began with the gray by casting a noose around her legs drawing them together and throwing her down the men then attempted to lift her up bodily over the side of the bungo but failing in this took off the rudder and leaning it against the side hauled the mule up it then tilted the rudder and dropped her into the boat in the meantime the macho stood under a tree looking on very suspiciously and with fearful forebodings the noose was put around his legs with a rope before and behind to pull on and struggling desperately he was thrown down but hardly touched the ground before with a desperate effort he broke the ropes and rose upon his feet a second attempt was more successful but the two abreast made a close fit and i was obliged to leave behind the luggage mule i paid the guarda to take her to mr foster but whether she reached him or not i have never heard we were assisted by the boatmen of another bungo and i ordered supper and agua ardiente for the whole this was furnished at the hut by the guarda and when it was over the men all in good spirits commenced taking the luggage on board at this time some who were detained were grumbling and a new man entered the hut as he said direct from the pueblo who croaked in my ears the odious order and the guard again made objections i was excessively vexed by this last interruption and fairly bullying the newcomer out of the hut told the guard that the thing was settled and i would not be trifled with took up my gun and told the men to follow me i saw beforehand that they were elevated by their good cheer and that i could rely upon them the guard and all those compelled to wait followed but we got on board and my crew were so tipsy that they defied all opposition one push cleared the bungo from the canal and as she was passing out a stranger unexpectedly stepped on board and in the dark slipped 
down under the awning with the mules i was surprised and a little indignant that he had not asked leave and it occurred to me that he was a partisan who might compromise me but to return might lead to new difficulty and besides he was probably some poor fellow escaping for his life and it was better that i should know nothing about it in the midst of my doubts a man on the bank cried out that fifty soldiers had arrived from leon it was pitchy dark we could see nothing and my men answered with a shout of defiance in the meantime we were descending rapidly whirling around and hitting against the branches of trees the mules were thrown down the awning carried away and in the midst of darkness and confusion we struck with a violent crash against another bungo which knocked us all in a heap and i thought would send us to the bottom the men rose with roars of laughter it was a bad beginning still i was overjoyed at being clear of the port and there was a wild excitement in the scene itself at length the men sat down to the oars and pulled for a few minutes as if they would tear the old bungo out of the water shouting all the time like spirits of darkness let loose the pilot sat quietly at the helm without speaking and dark as it was at times i saw a smile steal over his face at the wild sallies of his boatmen again they began rowing furiously as before and suddenly one of the sweeps broke and the oarsmen fell backward the bungo was run up among the trees and the men climbed ashore by the branches the blows of machetes mingled with shouts and laughter rang through the woods they were the noisiest party i met in central america in the dark they cut down a dozen saplings before they found what they wanted and in about an hour returned and the shattered awning was refitted by this time they were more sobered and taking their sweeps we moved silently down the dark river until one o'clock when we came to anchor the bungo was about forty feet long dug out of the trunk of a guanacaste tree about five feet wide and nearly as deep with the bottom round and a toldo or awning round like the top of a market wagon made of matting and bull's hides covered ten feet of the stern beyond were six seats across the sides of the bungo for the oarsmen the whole front was necessary for the men and in reality i had only the part occupied by the awning where with the mules as tenants in common there were too many of us they stood abreast with their halters tied to the first bench the bottom was rounding and gave them an unsteady foothold and when the boat heaved they had a scramble to preserve their centre of gravity the space between their heels and the end of the log or stern of the bungo was my sleeping room nicholas was afraid to pass between the mules to get a place among the men and he could not climb over the awning i had their heads tethered close up to the bench and putting him outside to catch the first kick drew up against the stern of the bungo and went to sleep at half past seven we weighed anchor or hauled up a large stone and started with oars my boatmen were peculiar in their way of wearing pantaloons first they pulled them off 
folded them about a foot wide and two feet long, and then suspended them over the belts of their machetes like little aprons. At nine o'clock we reached the mouth of the river. Here we hoisted sail, and while the wind was fair, did very well. The sun was scorching, and under the awning the heat was insufferable. Following the coast, at eleven o'clock, we were opposite the volcano of Cosigina, a long, dark mountain range with another ridge running below it, and then an extensive plain covered with lava to the sea. The wind headed us, and in order to weather the point of a headland from which we could lay our course, the boatmen got into the water to tow the bungo. I followed them, and with a broad-brimmed straw hat to protect me from the sun, I found the water was delightful. During this time, one of the men brought sand from the shore to break the roundness of the bottom of the boat and give the mules a foothold. Unable to weather the point, at half-past one we came to anchor, and very soon every man on board was asleep. End of section two.